Welcome to Feast Tilt On. It's your lonesome Colorado Cowboys getting it on to the joy of cooking and talking all about food, feasting, restaurants, and more. I'm Sam, and I'm joined by my co-host, Connor, to talk about all things food. So, Connor, as is tradition, we're going to start it off by asking you, how you doing? I thought we started off with one of us apologizing for something we said on the previous pod now. Yes, yes, yes. We, you, you can't <laughs> apologize forever. Come on, man. I kind of like that. I'm doing good. We're kind of having a late pod. Going to have some dinner after this. Sean cooked up some noodles. He made some Asian-inspired cold noodles that I'm going to go enjoy after this. But yeah, doing really well. Cold noodles on a cold day. I love it. Yo, it was cold as fuck down here today. It was like 32 degrees. I was freezing. Oh, really? Yeah, my little soft hands were freezing in my little office. As I sit at my little computer. Yeah, do you have a space heater, like a little cat? No, I actually have uh, heat, but I close the door to my office, so it turns it into a sauna, which makes things a little spicy in here. Oh, that sounds kind of gross. Yeah, you know, it's a little gross, but yeah, whatever. I was going to say, when I was working in Australia, for their winters, patrolling down there, it was so wet all the time. It's not uncommon for you to be skiing around in a full trench coat parka with like dish washing gloves on because it's just pouring rain. But just overall really wet, nothing got dry. And they had, quote unquote, a drying room in the patrol hut. And you'd go and put your boots in there at the end of the day. Um, you could put your jackets and stuff in there during the day to dry out. But it was just this disgusting, muggy sauna that was just permanently wet. So you're just rolling around looking like Curious George's dad. It was nuts. I actually kind of refused to wear them. I would just get wet. They were literally trench coats. They would go down below your knees. I actually got lucky. Both of my seasons down there, it snowed a lot and it didn't rain too much. But man, those days that it rained, it was pretty bizarre. Well, you had told me about some of the finest Australian cuisines. And one of the things I was most infatuated with because you really just add pie to anything and I'm gonna love it. They just have hot, ready to eat hand pies, either sausage rolls or normal pies that were usually beef and a gravy. They had really nice stands that would have beef bourguignon, chicken and mushrooms, maybe a curry pie. They sold them in the MCG in Melbourne, sold them at gas stations, but they were just like our roller dog food, but it was way better. Little Caesars hand pies, basically. Yeah. Oh my God. It was so good. Especially on the ski hill. Up at Hotham, they had obviously pies everywhere, sausage rolls, which are pretty good. I preferred the pies over the sausage rolls. Shout out Hotham then, for the sausage rolls. Shout out Hotham. I had a cold sausage roll in the States before I went down there and it kind of put me off. I wasn't really feeling it. Um, Can I inquire where you had this sausage roll? An Aussie exchanger made them and brought them in. Not entirely sure he cooked the meat all the way through. The cold, maybe not fully cooked pork kind of skeeved me out. But <laughs> the but the pies were unreal. They also had jammy donuts. So powdered sugar covered jelly donuts that were always hot. How would they keep them warm? So the same like hot lights that you see over fries in places. Mm. We used to go to this, this place, Hot Doggies in Hotham Central. 
and they'd have fries, chicken fingers, these potato cakes that I'd pour a bunch of chicken salt and soy sauce on them. It was like hash browns. That was the move. I found that out too late in my career there. I wish I had found that out earlier. But then they'd have a little container for the jammy D's, the jammy donuts. And they would just be hot. And they'd also just make a bunch. They'd go through them. Um, God, it was like the best quick and easy fast food. I loved it. I've never been to Australia, but this does give a lot of credibility to my claim that uh, Australia is just America in the upside down. They're hot dogs, but they're kind of the same. Like we have Dunkin' Donuts. It's kind of the same, but it's a little different. They have really good coffee. Really? Really good coffee. I didn't leave Victoria, so I can't speak for the rest of the country. But I heard that New South Wales has really good coffee as well. But I know everyone in Melbourne really loves their coffee. And up at the hill, one of the patrollers had his old espresso machine in one of the huts. So I'd make an espresso every day. I never could dial in the foam pouring thing. But mm, uh, couldn't get the little part and post it on Instagram. I couldn't. I no no Instagram posts. But it was awesome. I remember on those really bad days, like just socked in, can't see. There would be days where if you went out, and they have a lot of quote-unquote above tree line stuff, the tree line down there, it's a lot lower. But if you were in a big open snowfield, you'd get vertigo because you'd feel like you're in the middle of a ping pong bowl. Like I remember just kind of slowly slowly snowboarding, kind of having an idea in my mind of, okay, I think the cornice is over here. And then I was just in the air all of a sudden, crashed, stood up, could not tell if I was moving, if the snow was moving, couldn't tell if I was going down. It was bizarre. But on those days, I remember sitting in the shoe shard hut, all socked in. They had these awesome old ski mags and I'd make a nice espresso and sit there by the by the heater and read a ski mag one of my favorite things to do there to hear that you get disoriented by snow is actually very surprising for me young meatball would be just rolling around on the ground and be like i don't know which way is up i get disoriented in the snow if it's mildly snowing and overcast i'm like ah oh, fuck i used the wrong lenses today now i can't see now i can't snowboard time to go get a hot dog this was brutal it was very strange. I've only experienced that in Australia. I know it can happen around the States too, but not in Colorado, really. It happens to me with a minorly um, cloudy day. We weren't actually intending on talking about Australia, but I do have a story slash topic that we should cover eventually about the Australian use of the word burger. Let's go. This is exactly what this podcast is for. It's a forum to attack things that we don't like <laughs> and we think are wrong. So go off, young king. Last time, all yeah. we did is promote Subway the entire episode. So this time, <laughs> let's go on the attack. We apologize too much. It's time. Tell us about the yeah. burgers. So it's good because I preface this with how much I loved Australia as well as most of their food. So I was down there for two seasons in a row, two North American summers. And the first summer I was down there, I got really misled by a bunch of different menus as to what a burger was. And what really tipped it off was the chicken burger in Australia on most menus I went to is a fried chicken sandwich. That's not a burger. So I started – it's not a burger. I know. So I started a crusade against the use of burger down there and had very little support, pretty much no support from the Aussies. I think I maybe converted 
maybe a handful by the end of my second season. It's hard to, you know, go into a country as an outsider uh, working there and tell them that they've been living a lie. The crux of this issue is where I stood on my burger, and I guess I'll just define what my burger is. What makes a burger for me is a grounder minced patty form, whether that's ground beef, chicken, you can even go veggie because you're going to- Salmon? Salmon. You're going to grind that stuff up. You're going to, if it's an alternative burger like a veggie or a salmon, you're going to mix it up with some binding agents or filler and you're going to form it into a patty. That's really the only defining characteristic personally I have for burger qualification. The Aussies, their argument was that it is the bun, the bread that defines the burger. So you right can now, call Subway, gonna, gonna, you, they should change the name of Subway to fucking Shake Shack if that's the case. How mad you are right now was how mad I was for two winters in a row down there. I actually Googled and researched the origins of the burger to where it was first created. It was created in Connecticut, just outside of New York, a primarily German town with a large factory with a lot of German workers and a restaurant across the street from the factory was serving Hamburg. And eventually they put that Hamburg meat on toast for the workers to eat on the go. This didn't have to sit down with a plate. So the first burger was made with toast, not buns, not the potato rolls or the Kaiser rolls or the brioche rolls or the pretzel rolls or whatever roll you can put a burger on. That's not what it was originally made as. That seems like that's almost plus one to their claim though. What do you mean? That it was made with bread. Yeah, but their argument is that the bun creates the burger. So anything with a bun is a burger. You put a fried chicken sandwich, Nashville hot chicken sandwich. That's a chicken burger in Australia because it has a bun. Even though it's a cut, even though it's a cutlet of some sort, breaded and fried, no grinding involved, no mincing. Yeah. Well, I think that this is what happens when you take a bunch of prisoners out of their home country and put them halfway across the world. They start changing the names of things. They get a lot of stuff wrong. I Uh, I can't respect this. I knew you would agree with me. So yeah, I got a few people. Guy, shout out to Guy. He ended up on my side. It was so difficult. They wouldn't listen to me. They shouldn't listen to me, but it was so frustrating. My classic example was, what's the burger with uh, onions on rye? Patty melt. Mm Mm-hmm. That is a staple. That is a burger, right? It is a burger, but I think somebody from New York would tell you that that's a patty melt. And then yeah, chopped sure. cheese is a chopped cheese. I mean, that's why I love America is we have seven different kinds of mayonnaise and seven different kinds of burgers. I think a burger is a sandwich. Um, you know, it's like the square rectangle thing. All burgers are sandwiches, but not all sandwiches are burgers. I'm in 100% agreement with you here. Can we get Guy on the pod? I want to talk to this man because I love somebody who's willing to change their mind and come over to the side that's right. And I think yeah, we can do that with a moderate, a moderate burger supporter. Yeah, and he can give more regional context. He can give more background. He'll be able to come with some hot takes and uh, explain stuff to us like the Rissle, which is a whole different type of burger. What is the Rissle? Uh, I'm not even going to get into it because I would butcher the definition of it. But I remember it being similar to a hamburger, 
I think it had something in it, like onions, like inside, and it was more of a sh- like a circle, like a sphere. Mm. So it's a Mott's burger. Have you ever seen that guy's burgers? George Mott's? Oh, yeah, but he does the the smash burgers. He does right? the smash burgers, but they have those onions, and he uses a oh, mandolin yeah, and gets them super thin. Those look so good. I want to have one of those so bad. I want to try those so bad. Those are my ideal burgers. I love smash burgers. Double patted smash burgers on a really soft potato roll. Martin's, man. Martin's is something you cannot get out here in Colorado, and it is unequivocally in my opinion the best bun for a burger is the martin's potato roll yeah there's they're perfect there's nothing wrong with them at all so speaking of australia i wanted to ask you about your experience hunting in australia (laughs) oh yeah i wouldn't say it was hunting's a loose term harvesting might be more accurate (laughs) Um, did he have a salt lick out he was just going out and blasting him and dragging him in 10 uh, feet to his house so here's what happened so where i was was about five hours drive north of melbourne it was in the alpine shire is the region i was in was the high there yeah no the shire in the the shire Um, Oh, there was a town called smoko which is sick because smoko is a term down there for you're like smoke break i i know the song i'm on smoko so leave yeah, me yeah, alone yeah, yeah. i'm on smoko yeah exactly you got it so uh but anyway kind of up in the high country there really beautiful really sprawling rolling hills and really awesome old growth trees and everything but lots of farmland too orchards and stuff like that beautiful. so i lived up on the hill above the snow line so i was like in winter the whole time but then you could drive about an hour down the hill Within that hour, you would be below the snow line, pretty much going directly into fall, completely changing seasons. That's the way Baker was, where you'd be down in whatever that town is, and you go up, and it's like 12 feet of snow on either side of your car. Yeah, that was gnarly. I actually hadn't experienced that until we went to Baker. But yeah, so my roommate and really good buddy, Speedy, he lived down the hill, and he's a hunter, kind of on and off. So we went down... I spent the weekend with him. We met up with his buddy who had a big plot of land and had some access to some neighboring orchards. I can't remember if they were actually his or not or if he was allowed to hunt on them. This was actually the second time. The first time I went with a few buddies on the other side of the mountain range that we were at and we just walked around his property until we found something and our buddy Tristan shot it. That was my first time butchering. But it was dark, more of a rushed process, I guess. Not rushed, but like we weren't taking our time with it. We wanted to get it done. But that was really cool. I think the first cut that I actually made was for the back straps. Um, oh, my God. In my opinion, that's one of the only good parts of venison are the back straps. It's so good. And it's also probably the most satisfying cut to make, in my opinion. I think that people out there are cooking really good dishes with every single part of it. They just know how to do it, and I don't. But I'm also a little bit skeptical of, is it really that good? If they are cooking good things, the parts of that deer, they're probably adding so much fat into the mix. Like they're adding a metric ton of butter or oil or whatever it is, and then saying that, oh, yes, we're sustainable. We use the yeah. uh, the rib of a deer, which has no fat yeah. on it. 
Yeah, I think that also goes hand in hand, like adding the fat. That goes hand in hand with the cooking style, like pressure cooking it, slow cooking, where you can break down a lot of the tendons and cartilage or whatever that you're not breaking down with a faster cooking method. Just knowing your cuts and knowing the best way to get the most out of them, I think is huge. Like I know Steve Ranella has a bunch of really awesome recipes where he uses the shank and slow cooks it for a really long time and it comes out as this luxurious meat but if you were just to look at that shank normally you'd be like i'm not gonna get shit out of this like there's no way Um, i think you just have to know how to go about it yeah really Mm Hmm. huh that's interesting same thing with the ribs as well like not parting out the rib it takes time and it um you need to need like a bone saw essentially. We need to be pretty methodical with what you're doing because you can get a lot of bone fragments everywhere. But parting out the ribs into like three, four, um, three, four ribs at a time, and then cutting them in half so they're more uh, portion sized, and then like slow cooking that or pressure cooking that, and then going to the grill with it. That's supposed to be really good. You obviously don't have much meat. It depends on what the animal that you shot, if it has enough, and when you shot it. I think, um, but undoubtedly the back straps are always good yo backstrap boys yeah the second time i went this was the hilarious time first of all my friend speedy's hilarious in and of himself quite the character his friend that we met equally as big of a character literally bigger he's a huge dude but he was like all right speedy what do you want to do and he's like oh let's just go out and try to find a deer he's like all right i'll drive you guys get in the back so we walk over to his old Suzuki Trooper, and he has the back cut off. And we stand up in the back with our rifle mounted on the roof. I have a spotlight. So this is ethically where people are going to start kind of getting annoyed. I'm not a big hunter. I don't hunt. So, yeah, don't fucking yell at me. I got to stop you for one second. I'm looking at pictures of suzuki troopers right now it looks like a jeep wrangler did he cut off the back portion it's a two-door trooper there's like a bench seat in the back and you can pop the top off and then stand in the back it's more of a sawzall cutting off the top deal with this guy's car sawzall operation you know my brother-in-law always says about the sawzall low effort high impact yeah it's not as precise god Try plunge cutting with the sawzall. See what fucking happens. What's a anyway, plunge cut? That's when you can't go directly into it, and you got to stab the blade into whatever you're cutting, and then go down. That sounds really high. That sounds like a liability. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, nah. <laughs> <laughs> nah, yeah. But uh, so yeah, we start rolling around in this trooper, and I got a spotlight. I'm just looking around. We're just driving around, hanging out. Like this is not hunting. And then we found a few deer. We could see in the spotlight. I believe Speedy missed all of them. So we drove around for like another three hours and we didn't get anything. But it was an unreal time just driving around bullshitting, hanging out. A week later, uh, Speedy actually did get something and I went back down there. He had two deer. He actually technically had one and a half. And I'm not sure how he had a half of a deer, but he did. And... So we spent the whole day. Wait, 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 wait. Pause this whole story. He, he had a half of a deer? Yeah, and I feel like I remember his friend took half of it or something. Or it was like missing like one quarter for some reason. Are there bears in Australia? There's like drop bears. Drop bears? 
Yeah. They like drop ship them in. No, they're like in trees and they'll they'll drop on you. What? Yeah, they got like nasty claws and fangs and shit. <laughs> they just—I picture this bear just dropping from this tree and giving you a noogie for spreading your burger doctrine <laughs> in Australia. <laughs> yeah, they also have hoop snakes. What is a hoop snake? A hoop snake is a snake that it can slither around, but it also can bite its own tail and then it rolls around like a like a wagon wheel. Is that like a boom slang? Sam, there's no such thing as a drop bear or a hoop snake. <laughs> Yo, come on. Come on. Got him. I did. That's I. Me with the MoMA pants. I couldn't believe that you fell for the MoMA pants. I don't go outside. You fell for the hoop snake. A hoop snake and a drop bear sounds totally reasonable when you are talking about a country that calls some chicken breasts on bread a burger yeah that no it's it's completely yeah it, that's why well it's funny because actually i got i got got by all of those there's a bunch more too we had a australian on patrol here that did the weather and he would do like a top 10 australian most da- dangerous animals we were up to like the sixth week of him doing this like the sixth animal and i was like this is nuts they have all these things they were all fake Oh, man. So he got like 25 people all at once. Yeah. Boom slang, for the record, though, is a real snake. I'm looking this up on Wikipedia right now. Boom slang. The boom slang is a large, highly venomous snake in the family Colabridae. I don't know. I can't pronounce the genus, phyla, whatever family. Yo, look up Huntsman Spider. Roger. What the fuck? Yeah, those are actually real. I These things are like those, as big as pugs. Those suck. I'm not even scared of spiders, and these are gnarly. The one that I'm looking at is like 12 inches wide from its leg oh, yeah. span. And just like hiding the size on the top of the dinner wall. plates. What yeah, they're like the size fuck? of dinner plates. What scares me about this spider in particular is its thorax is so big. Yeah, do you notice how they're all in houses? Yeah, why is that? They're like, it's too cold at Hotham, and there's meat pies inside. We got to (laughs) go. Dude, that's where they are. They're inside. It's fucked up. It's terrifying. So if you get a nest of those things in your house, you're just dead. Ugh. Ugh. No, they're not deadly, I don't think. They're just terrifying. I actually had a friend who I was down there with uh, the second time, who's from the States, and... Uh, someone pointed out one of them in the middle of dinner and, oh God, it was hilarious. She just immediately started bawling. Oh my gosh. Oh, I just remembered the name of this spider, the camel spider. It's this spider that lives in a rock. So there was all of these reports of these soldiers having these camel spiders in their bunks. Yo, oh, that's enough, in my opinion, for you to oh, get a purple good. heart. If you see... If I went abroad and I did a tour, if I saw a camel spider, I'd be like, I want my purple heart. Give me that purple heart. Give me that purple heart. (laughs) Like, that's that's enough for me. No, it didn't Uh, bite me, but I saw it. Like, Sam, I thought we fired you months ago. How did you get over here? And I was like, ah, you know, I've been doing data. I've been doing data for the U.S. government. Well, to wrap up my uh, pseudo hunting story... Speedy and I spent a whole day together 
um, we each butchered our own deer and we periodically watched like a 12 minute Steve Ranella how to butcher a deer video. We watched it like 40 times. So Speedy did not even know how to butcher before this? Well, I think he did, but like he had only done it his way or whatever way he was taught. And we were both just talking about this video. So we wanted to do it this other way. We were trying to use a lot mm. more of the animal than he would have normally. We just spent the whole day together just listening to Led Zeppelin, drinking beers, butchering. And then uh, like halfway through, we had gone through most of it, but we were just starving. So we just found the back straps, sliced some off and cooked that up for lunch. It was awesome. Now that I think about this, a lot of things are coming full circle for me because I grew up deer hunting, got my hunter safety license when I was 12. Still, I've never shot a deer. Shot a lot of pheasants, but never any deer. But whenever somebody would get a deer, the thing that we would have for dinner that night was the back straps. And I think that that's why in the, you know, call it what you will, the leave it to beaver days where the men would go out hunting, drinking beer. You know, I know there's a lot of female hunters out there now, but I think that that's why there was such a aversion to venison because the back straps from the venison never made it home. They were always the first thing that got eaten off. And mm -hmm. so nobody had the chance to try really good venison meat. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I have no perspective growing up with hunting. Like I, my, my dad didn't hunt. I didn't have any friends that hunted. Um, so it's, pretty, it's a pretty new world to me. But that, that does make sense, though. It's what everyone goes to grab. Like, it's what they want immediately. Yeah, it's, like, it's also the, thing. the least amount. Of, it's like the most reward for the least amount of effort as far as cooking goes. Because you, you don't want to overcook that. You want to sear mm -hmm. it pretty hot and fast, have it pretty rare. Um, oh, God, yeah, it's so good. Oh it's really gosh. interesting, though, right? Because like, it doesn't have that marbling. Mm -hmm. So it is a different texture. Oh, it's so good. The thing I've always compared is filet mignon. Because filet mignon doesn't have any marbling either but it's so tender that you, know, you can cut through it with a spoon or whatever. And back straps are like that, but on deer, in my opinion. Well, I think that I think that's actually, oh God, I might be talking on my ass. That I think is the same exact cut. Really? Yeah. We're not gonna fact check this right now. We'll let somebody tell us we're wrong. I'm pretty sure it is. Or it's the tenderloins inside. I can't mm. remember which was. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm very excited because we're about to go home and this is peak butchering season. So Aaron and I are going to go to my parents' house in central Pennsylvania. And on Saturday, we're going to be butchering a pig. So that'll be Aaron's oh, first nice. experience, I think, with butchering. Are you going to make her like stab the pig in the neck? We, we don't do it that way. It's actually pretty <laughs> interesting what we kill these pigs with. Super humane, super quick, bada bing, bada boom you're done because my dad really starts to develop relationships with these pigs. They become in some sense his pets, but it's mm -hmm. his pet that has, you know, a very strict timeline, obviously. But the way that you kill these pigs is you take what looks like a metal tube and then you load a 22 bullet into the top of the tube. And what that 22 bullet it does is it doesn't fire into the pig directly. But it's like a it, no country for old men deal. 
this is exactly No what Country for Old Men. No Country for for Old Men. He uses the air canister and goes around and on people. This fires a bullet and then drives a hammer into their skull, so they go out real quick. Oh wow! Yeah, but on a lighter note, I do think that there is something really sort of carnal, but community based. You're sharing this experience of breaking it down with somebody and breaking down something that's going to feed you for months and months and months. And I think if more people knew that process, it would probably change the way that they eat meat a little bit. I've definitely, for better or worse, become way more picky about where my meat is coming from. Whole Foods isn't the best, right? It isn't the best option. I should go to a local butcher. I don't have one. I haven't found a good one. But... It's pretty good from my understanding and from the research I've done. It's not Tyson Farms, right? Or it's not some beef factory halfway across the globe. And I do love that element. Like when we butcher, it's a whole day event. So you wake up in the morning, eight o'clock, you get out there, we butcher, and then you butcher until probably three or four. I'm not gonna lie, I always kind of dip out around like you know, 11 and go do something else. Um, Cause there's also like sausage making and other stuff happening, but then it turns into a party. My parents, every time my dad has butchered a pig, they always have friends over. There's always, you know, some music being played and everybody's kind of celebrating the life of this pig that they just killed and being together like a community aspect. So Uh, that's so awesome. I wish I could go to that. I've heard so much about these events that your dad's had your mom and your dad have had over the over the years it just sounds so awesome and my mom's always cooking up some like kale or something because she's <laughs> my mom is basically saying you boys have had too much cured meat today you're fired <laughs> yeah. up on cured meat you're acting like cavemen you're running around with blood on your hands it's time to eat some kale <laughs> too much blood on your hands have some kale what what did your dad bring to the um, wedding again he brought a entire leg of prosciutto that was... That was unbelievable. I'll have to ask him, but I think that one was three years old. He was in his element there. Just s- gently slicing that leg of prosciutto for what was probably, I think, 150 people. I remember being mid-conversation with him, and he was like, sorry, I, I got to go give this guy a piece of prosciutto. And like ran halfway across the venue to get this guy some prosciutto. It was awesome. It was just, it was so good to see how happy and stoked he was to first of all, just have that event happening in the first place, but having that specific group of people from both sides of the family and friends and being able to share his passion through that one piece of meat. It was just like, it it was really cool to see. And it was unbelievably tasty. It's become super interesting for me to think about because I cannot imagine committing to a three-year cooking project. I can't even commit to helping Erin with her sourdough starter. That's all her thing. A three-year aging of meat is like, like what? Because he goes down there and he has to spray down the legs and move them and smoke them and care for them like they're a living thing because they are, in a sense, yeah, I we got to get him on because I want to ask him all about that because I, I was about to ask you like, you know, post the initial butchering, 
and then into the aging process, like how much you actually have to do in that time. I have no idea. Kind of from what you just said, sounds like you still have to be managing it. You got to manage it, but I'm not going to give that explanation. I already totally forgot the name of the Maillard reaction when we were talking about the chicken wings on the last episode. So I am not a source of truth. Yeah, I actually was thinking about saying Maillard during that episode, but then it popped into my head that Ethan says it a certain way, and I couldn't remember if it was the same way. And then I got really self-conscious, and I said, I'm just going to roll with this, not saying it. The Mallard reaction. That's probably how they say it in Australia. Yeah. 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 Well, Connor, I think we're about out of time. But there's one thing that was submitted by a listener. Oh, no way. Yeah, we had a listener submission first time ever. Let's go. Shout out to the homie Jamie for submitting this question. He asked for top 10 chefs we would like to have on the pod. I figure that he asked for 10. I said, you can do five. I'm going to do five. Oh, God. Are you going to go first or am I going to go first? You got to go first because I want to steal ones from you. I already make you fun of you enough. I you? argue with enough. I, I want to steal from you. Okay. Um, we're saying alive today? No, dead or alive. Okay, cool. Um, I'm going to start off with my all-time just culinary hero, Anthony Bourdain. Oh, my gosh. R.I.P. Love you, buddy. Yep. Um, then I'm going to go Maddie Matheson. Yep. Chris Morocco. Okay. Okay. Late round pick, but I like it. David Chang. So I feel yep. like he's he has hot takes. He has really hot takes. Actually, I should describe why I want this. Yeah, Anthony Bourdain, absolute legend. Would just love to. I, I don't even care for podcasting. Would just have loved the opportunity just to have a beer and sit down with him. A um, beer or seven. And then Maddie Matheson, just absolute character. Really an interesting take on life. Would just love to hear his take on. Not even food, just everyday life. Chris Morocco, love his videos. Seems to have the most ridiculous palette ever and just seems like a genuinely awesome guy. Would just love the opportunity to speak to him. Those blind taste test videos that Chris Morocco does are the most impressive thing I've ever seen. That he can never look at a dish and he uses his hands to break these food apart and he's smelling it with his nose and he's really getting in there to like feel the food is insane yeah totally nuts and then i, I said a fourth what was my fourth oh david chang just from watching him in various shows has hot takes so it'd be really fun just to sit down with him and essentially just argue and just get owned by one of the best chefs in the world about why our opinions are trash and we should feel bad <laughs> He kind of trashes um, on people's opinions all the time, though. Yeah, I know. I love it. It's awesome. And then five. Ooh, this is like got to be really good. I'm going to say Sean Brock because I'd love to do a collaborative episode with him and someone like your dad to get ooh. this real salt of the earth view of food and just like preserving history within food and i'd love to get that perspective from someone who's been in the professional setting for almost his entire life versus someone who does it as a passion and isn't making money from it 
Um, I think that would be a really cool, really cool episode. So yeah, those are my five. All right. So I guess I got to bring up the rear then. Let's see. Cause you took a couple of my favorites. Love Maddie. Love Chris Morocco. Love Anthony Bourdain. Of course, I actually don't know the, the last guy, but that's okay. I would have to say favorite chefs. So I think Claire has to be in there. So Claire Savitz from Bon Appetit definitely has to be in there. And I honestly haven't really made many of her recipes. I'm not a baker. It's not something I'm very good at and I prize myself on, but I can respect the craft. I love baguettes. I love bread. I love cakes. So that's one. Um, That's number six. Number seven, we're going to have to go with one chef that I grew up really eating his food, but I didn't even really know it until I was older, was Rick Bayless, who in a lot of ways brought contemporary Mexican food to America. My parents were cooking his food all the time growing up, and I just never realized it. In Pennsylvania, there was no Mexican food, really, or no adventurous Mexican food, something you would actually find in like a Mexico city. Yeah. Interesting. So I have six and seven. Let's go eight. And this sounds like a weird chef dom kind of thing, but I would love to just be humiliated by Gordon Ramsay. I think that that would give me <laughs> so much fuel. Oh my God. Just to be told I was wrong and I didn't know anything. I had to go to culinary school and I'm a, just, you know, a pathetic excuse for a chef. I think I would love that. It would kind of please me. Number nine is going to be Mater Joffrey. I love Indian food. And my whole thing with Indian food is I'm always like cross-referencing recipes. So I took a little bit of her, you know, chicken tikka masala recipe. I took Maddie's butter chicken recipe and I melded the two together. I've now made this butter chicken four times in the past month literally every week mm. because I take this thing and it I get the nice char on the little bits of chicken, throw it into a nice butter chicken mix, add the heavy cream. Oh, I love it. I'm obsessed with Indian food right now. So that'd be number nine. Yeah, so good. Number 10, we're gonna have a two-way tie for number 10. We're gonna have a two-way tie okay. between some Bon Appetit classics. Okay, cool. I knew you're okay. I feel like you got get, you got my man. He's two way up. two way tie between Molly Boz and Andy Baragani. I think Andy's food is some of the most inventive like I've ever seen. Yeah, and no, the flavors I, I love, and the I love herbs. Both of their recipes. Why you look at me like that? What was yours, Brad? Yeah, I thought you were gonna say Brad. Brad would come in as an honorable mention. He would come in as my eleven point well, five. I was going to have a few alternates, Brad, and then uh, Ethan Chabowski, cooking with you. Ethan Chabowski is now one of my favorite celebrity chefs. Yeah. Yep. Shout out to the, the YouTube world. Those are two awesome ones. I completely agree with your whole list. That's great. I actually didn't know who Rick Bayless was until right now, though. Oh, really? I think you should yeah, get his cookbook. So that's awesome. I don't know if it still holds up now that we eat a lot more Mexican cuisine in America, but at the time, from what I understand, it was pretty groundbreaking stuff. I'll check out Rick Bayless. You gotta check out Sean Brock. Okay, I'll check out Sean Brock. I'm gonna get you that book for your birthday. And okay, I'll get you, I'll get you uh, his book for your birthday. Okay, and and then I'm gonna get you a lot <laughs> other stuff for your birthday, and a lot of presents, and a 
Oh, oh good time. Shit, shit. I, I forgot. I wanted to open with this. How many of my soup dumplings have you eaten so far? There's still two unsealed packages down here, Ooh. but you gotta hurry, dog. You yeah, gotta fly okay. down here. <laughs> yeah, those are in danger. Sean and I were like, there's just no way they're lasting. Um, hey, if they don't last, here's my offer. I'm going to, it'll be concierge service to H Mart. You can go there. You can go to the nice little bar that they have in H Mark. You get yourself some sake, some Sapporo. You hang out. I'll go pick up soup dumplings for us. I'll drive us back. Concierge soup dumpling service. Oh, that's way. That's way better. Yeah, I'll just do that. Eat them. And then afterwards, we'll pod, and I'm gonna embarrass you and make you mad again, just because you know a man Love can it. only take so much. Like a man can only take so much mercury from the tuna. A man can only take yeah. so much. People are mad about my Subway order. They're not stoked. I know. I love it. Let the yeah, hate fill you. Yeah, whatever. Go get your own Subway order. I don't fucking care. If you hate Ed. it so much. Ed. Yeah, Ed. If you Ed, hate stop, it. Stop sending me links to the whole tuna's not tuna at Subway. I know. I get it's, it. It's I tuna enough. It. It's tuna enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, how's, uh, yeah, you got anything else for us, Sam? No. That was a great episode. I think we are going to get the legend, Dr. Smokehouse himself, on next week to talk about the butchering process. So be on the lookout for that one. Is this going to be post-pig day? I think while the hands are still bloody. Okay, good. Nice. I want blood I want blood on the mics coming back. Yes. I just got a new mic too, but it's okay, you know? We'll, we'll make it work. Sick. Awesome. Another good one, Sam. Thank you, Connor, for dedicating your time and your burger stories about Australia. This has been another great episode of Feast Till Dawn. And until next time, keep feasting, everyone. Is